Well, good morning. Please do keep that passage open. That would be great. Exodus 10, page 67. Shall we pray um, as we start? Lord God, we do thank you for your uh, word. We thank you that it is a double-edged sword that, that cuts to the bone. And Father, please would you uh, speak to us through it by your spirit this morning, uh, that we may be changed uh, people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever had a, a pivotal um, moment uh, in life, uh, but at the time you didn't realise it, it, it was that, a sort of kind of sliding doors uh, moment, if you like. I had one in, in 2003, after a year of uh, painful prevarication, I finally cornered my wife, Nikki, which wasn't my wife then, and sort of said, well, actually, no, I do quite like you, let's, let's give things a go. By this point, she was extremely sceptical, thought I was an idiot uh, after my conduct for the past year. And she will tell you that she remained very sceptical for another two months uh, after that. But it was one of those moments that, for me, changed everything. A pivotal moment, and the rest, they say, is, is history. And this morning is actually one of those moments um, for all of us, even if we don't uh, realise it. It is a pivotal um, moment. Why? Because Exodus 10 shows us that every time we hear from God's word... Uh, Our lives are changed for the good or for the bad. It is a pivotal uh, moment. There's no neutral position. There's there's no kind of middle ground uh, here. We either draw closer to Jesus Christ or or we move further uh, away from him. There are only two responses uh, to Jesus Christ. You're for him or you're uh, against him. That has been, hasn't it, vividly demonstrated over the past few weeks when we've been looking Um, over the past few chapters of Exodus and and the plagues uh, that came uh, upon Egypt. Because we've seen, haven't we, the clash between the Lord God Almighty and the great world superpower of the day, Egypt. Uh, And yet this is not just a clash uh, for history. It's it's a clash, it's a decision that every person uh, faces in every generation. Will we turn to serve the living God? Or will we turn away from him? There isn't any neutral uh, ground here, no middle way. Pharaoh, he refused to let the Israelites worship God, and in doing so, he showed contempt uh, for the Lord. That is why, did you notice how arresting the beginning of chapter 10 is? Did you see that in verse 1? Verse 1 of chapter 10, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these miraculous signs of mine among them. You know, nine times in the previous chapters, Pharaoh has rejected the Lord. He's ignored uh, his signs. And again and again, Pharaoh has hardened his heart. Just have a look back at um, chapter 8. Turn back to chapter 8 and verse verse 15. This is after the, the plague of the frogs. Frogs have ended, but what do we see in verse 15? But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron. Or or just flip forward to to verse 32 of of chapter 8. Plague of flies, it's ended, the flies have gone. What do we have verse 32? But this time also, Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. I'll just turn forward finally to chapter 9, verse, verse 34. 
This is after the plague of hail. What happens, verse 34? Pharaoh sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go. Each time, each time Pharaoh refuses to obey the Lord, he hardened his heart against the Lord. Do you see that refusing to obey, to obey is not a neutral act? If we don't obey the Lord God, our hearts are hardening against him. It, it has an effect on us. And so what is the terrifying result in verse 1 of chapter 10? The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardens his heart, and in turn the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. It is almost as if uh, the Lord confirms the decision that Pharaoh has made. I think this is a warning, is it not, from Scripture for us. It can happen to us, and it will happen to us, if we don't obey uh, the word of God. Have you ever wondered why it is that when people get older, it sometimes seems to be the case that they're less likely to turn to Christ? That is the case statistically. It's probably our anecdotal um, experience. I remember that with my grandparents, observing as a teenager when I spoke to them about Christ, how very hard-hearted they seemed to be. Why is that? Surely it is because when people refuse to obey the Lord... Their hearts are hardened. And eventually, in turn, the Lord hardens their hearts. And so older people have often had a lifetime of hardening their hearts against Jesus Christ. So it's just more difficult to turn to Christ. I think that is why if we're a student here this morning, student days are such great times, aren't they? They're such brilliant times, golden times Um, for the gospel, because the times of great gospel fruit, many people come to Christ as students. Why? Why is that? Surely partly because people at university stage of life, they've not had a lifetime of hardening their hearts against Jesus Christ. I think if you're a student here, take advantage, take every opportunity that comes your way uh, to speak and show Jesus Christ. It is a glorious opportunity in life. I think it's why those of us who are parents, all of us as a church family here who have children, blessed with children uh, amongst us, we've got such great responsibility because children, they've got soft hearts, hearts that can be penetrated uh, with God's word. What What a responsibility we have to teach them, to show them uh, the truth and the love uh, of Jesus Christ. Do you see in in verse 2 of chapter 10, verse 2, how how the Lord's dealings with Pharaoh, that they're a declaration for generations to come. These miraculous signs are performed so that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them and that you may know that I am the Lord. Do you see, it's a warning for the generations to come. What happened to Pharaoh is meant to teach us. These miraculous signs of plagues, they show that the Lord is God. There is no one like him in all the earth. And they tell future generations that if we will not serve him, 
then we will face his judgment. And the plagues are a sign that that is no idle threat. Pharaoh rejected the Lord, but the Lord uses his disobedience to warn us, to teach us. And you see, Moses obeys the Lord, verse 3. Verse 3, so Moses and Aaron, they went to Pharaoh and said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go so they may worship me. This surely is a question that comes home for all of us uh, this morning. Will, Will we take warning today? How long? How long will we refuse to humble ourselves? Perhaps you're here this morning and you're not a committed follower of Jesus Christ. It's great that you're here. But take warning from this passage. Every time you put off following Jesus Christ, it has a bad effect on you. It impacts you. You harden your heart. Yes, it's got to be right, hasn't it? We consider Christ, we consider his claims, we count the costs. But, but don't keep putting off the decision. We're expert, aren't we, at waiting for tomorrow. And yet sometimes, well, tomorrow, it never comes. And each time we, we, we put off turning to Christ, we harden our hearts. We put off today, and it may be harder tomorrow. How long will you refuse to humble yourself? The warning here is that there will come a time when the Lord in judgment will harden our hearts so it is even harder, more difficult uh, to turn to him. That is what happened uh, to Pharaoh. It surely also isn't it a question for all of us here this morning who are, who are Christians, who are trusting uh, in, in Jesus Christ, that there are areas of life, aren't there, that we have where we harden our hearts against the Lord. You, you know what those areas are for you those parts of your life that you hang on to. So so we're challenged, aren't we, with a conviction that comes from the Bible, that cuts to our heart. We know something, it's got to change. But then, you know, we walk out the door. Uh, As the days go by, the kind of the sense of conviction, it fades. We don't act on it. We don't respond swiftly. And, And the next time the challenge comes to us, well, it just seems to have that that little bit less impact on us. Not because God's word is less powerful, but because we've hardened our hearts and our hearts are less easy to penetrate. Often pride is the issue, isn't it? We're good at being proud. Being self-sufficient is what life is all about. You know, standing on our own two feet, that is the responsible the good thing to do. We're, we're proud of our achievements, all, all that we do. Yet yeah, isn't it pride that keeps us from the kingdom of God? It's pride which keeps us rebelling uh, against the Lord God who calls us back to himself. It's pride that means we rely on ourselves and not Jesus Christ. What is the challenge here? Whether we're Christian this morning, whether we're non-believer, the Lord God challenges us, you know, grasp the nettle. To do nothing is not neutral. Not to respond to God's word it is a dangerous thing. 
I think the Lord God says to all of us, how long will you refuse to humble yourself? And we're missing out, aren't we? We're missing out if we don't humble ourselves from being in relationship uh, with the Lord God. The the thing that we're made, we're created to be. Did did you notice that in verse 3? Let my people go so that they may worship me. Pharaoh wouldn't acknowledge the Lord God, but worse than that, he, he prevented others from doing so. That is surely the most serious crime in God's universe. We push Christ aside and we stop others from coming to Christ. That is why, isn't it, regimes that, that prevent people from worshipping God, worshipping Jesus Christ, are wicked regimes and why we must pray for them. The teaching of this passage is that the most terrible judgment, it will come on those who don't worship the Lord and those who stand in the way of others from doing so. Just look at, look at verse 4. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow. They will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. They will devour what little left you have after the hail including every tree that is growing in your fields. They will fill your houses and all those of your officials and all the Egyptians, something neither your fathers nor your forefathers have ever seen from the day they settled in this land till now. That's a terrifying picture, isn't it? Locusts are a sign of God's judgment. In Revelation 9, we read of the locusts that come at the end times. When people rebel against the Lord, he sends in the locusts as a sign of judgment. So, so this is, it is a terrifying glimpse of, of God's day of judgment. There will be total destruction. It's a warning for us, it's a warning for our leaders. If we impede the worship of God, the locusts will come. The Lord God, he will judge and it will be devastating Verse 7, do you not realise the land Egypt is ruined? Ruined, that sense of total destruction, irretrievable damage. And doesn't Pharaoh's response in verse 8 show us just why Egypt is ruined, verse 8? Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go worship the Lord your God, he said. But just who will be going? Do you kind of see the subtlety of Pharaoh's position there? Do you see that? This is kind of Pharaoh trying to cut a deal. It's Pharaoh the deal maker, trying to work out a compromise. Just who will be going? Trying to negotiate here. Isn't that what we so often try to do with God? Don't we try and negotiate uh, with God? No, I don't want to give my life to Jesus Christ. It's, it's going to interfere with my life plans, the plans that other people have for my life. You know what? I'm not going to give that part of my life over to God's rule because I enjoy it that bit too much. It's just something I can hang on to, God. And hey, we're, we're, we're cool about that. That's going to be okay. You know, we're in no position, are we, to negotiate with God. But we are sinners before almighty God, and we can't try and cut a deal, we can't try and compromise, but we're at God's mercy. 
The bottom line is that Pharaoh, he wanted to call the shots. He wanted uh, to be king of his life. He wanted to be in charge, in control. Just look at verse 9. Moses answered, we will go with our young and old, with our sons and daughters and with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh said, the Lord be with you if I let you go, along with your women and children. We're going, says Moses. No, you're not, says Pharaoh, only if I let you, only if I say. The Lord will only be with you if I let you go. Pharaoh is setting himself up here as God, isn't he? I'm in charge. You go nowhere unless I say so. And so in response to that hardness of heart, judgment follows, verse 13. Verse 13, so Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt and the Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning, the wind had brought the locusts. They invaded all Egypt and settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a great plague of locusts, nor will there be ever again. They covered all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail, everything growing in the fields and the fruit of the trees. Nothing green remained on tree or plant in all the land of Egypt." People say it's a biblical plague. This truly is a biblical plague, isn't it? Destruction is total. Everything is devoured. This is God's terrible uh, judgment. Fail to submit to the Lord and you lose everything. Pharaoh made, did he not, the, the biggest of gambles at the biggest of gambling tables. Yeah, he tried desperately to hold on to the Israelites, his slaves, building Egypt, making the land prosperous. He wanted to rule and bask in the glory of a prosperous nation. In his greed, he gambled everything, and he lost big time. This is the tragedy of, of so many people today, is it not? In failing to turn to Christ, we gamble everything. People, people are so desperate to hold on to the things of this world that they will not turn to Christ. Yet the tragedy is when judgment comes, we lose everything anyway. People hang on to the things that are nothing and forfeit life itself, only to lose in the end the things that are nothing anyway. What did Jesus say in Mark 8? What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? It seems at first glance, doesn't it, in verse 16, that Pharaoh repents and he seems to be sorry, but we've seen it all before, haven't we? Time and again over these past chapters. This isn't genuine repentance. This isn't a genuine turning away and turning to God. He just hated the plagues. And when the plagues ended, when relief came, well, hey, it's back to the same old Pharaoh. What are we told, verse 20? But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go. Problem goes away, nothing changes. What does God say to Moses, verse 21, in response to this? Stretch out your hands towards the sky 
so that darkness will spread over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days. Yet all the Israelites had a light in the places where they lived. This is that kind of terrifying darkness, I think, where you can't, you can't see anything. You can't see the hand in front of your face. The kind of darkness you get if you're down a cave and they sort of turn the lights off. Total disorientation. Not a chink of light. And this is a, this is a picture, is it not, of the spiritual state of Egypt. The Israelites, they had light because they knew the light of the world. But Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they are in darkness because they had rejected the light of the world. It is a picture, again, of, of those who reject God's words. If we reject the word of God and we reject Jesus Christ, well, then darkness comes upon us. We will end up in spiritual darkness. And it may be that we will never, ever hear the word of God again. We always think, don't we, there's going to be another day. That there's going to be another chance. But, but that may not be the case. Do you notice that from how this account ends in verse 27? Verse 27, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you will see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. What a devastating moment. What a devastating moment. Pharaoh has doomed himself because he has cut himself off from God's messenger. Never to hear from God again. Maybe, maybe you are here this morning and you're waiting to repent. You're not wanting to submit to Jesus Christ. There is a warning here. You may never hear from God's word again. You may never meet another Christian who will share the love of Christ with you again. It's tempting, isn't it, to think, oh, I'll repent late in life when I've done what I want to do, I'll get the chance, I'll kind of check in a bit later and we'll all be fine. At the time of my choosing. Surely the warning here is that if God stops bringing his word to you, well, that day may never come. You may end up in spiritual darkness without, without God's word, because you've rejected God's word so many times uh, before. Just as we close, when, when you read the words of verse 22, of the three days of darkness, but where do our minds turn? Surely our minds turn to, to Jesus Christ, who died on the cross. When he died on the cross, darkness, it, it came over the land for three hours as he died under the judgment of God. For three days he suffered in the darkness of the tomb before he broke out in the resurrection. Jesus suffered 
the judgment of darkness so that, that we don't have to. Someone has to pay. Someone has to pay for our rebellion against God. It's either us or it's Jesus. Because Jesus paid, we don't have to. What a glorious, amazing, astonishing truth. If we will stop hardening our hearts, if we will humble ourselves, if we will worship the Lord God Almighty. How has the last 20 minutes uh, been for you? Hearing the word of God, it is not neutral. There is no middle ground. There is no neutral response. How we respond, it will move us closer to Jesus Christ or it will move us further away from Jesus Christ. How do we respond? Let's pray. Lord God, we do um, thank you and praise you for this passage, for the uh, warning uh, that it has, a terrifying warning in many ways. But Lord God, we praise you that you are a God who did not step aside from history, but Lord God, that you stepped into history in Jesus Christ. Lord God, that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. Lord, that we may be people who can be free to worship the Lord God in the way that we're meant to be, now in part and in future forever. Lord God, please would you help to soften our hearts, to turn us uh, to you, that we would submit our lives uh, to Jesus Christ and want to glorify him. Please would you help us uh, do that this week and forevermore we pray. Amen.